Luca Nation, welcome back. Episode 890 of Lucas Tigers and Bronze. Oh my, we are bringing back one of your favorite segments. It's the Coffee with Cage segment. And if you want to have your question featured, you can leave it in the comments. And we're going to be doing this segment every single Friday. Three questions. Maybe there will be a bonus round. You can leave it in the comments and I'll feature it on next week's show. Now, if you guys haven't had a chance to listen, Cage and Cajun did an amazing, amazing episode yesterday covering the NBA, MVPs, and there was kind of an amazing question that dovetailed into a question someone else asked. You, you actually, Cage, asked Cajun, you know, with all this said, there's this parody, right? Like I think Jason Tatum is 3-1 to one to win MVP, Cage mm-hmm. 4-1, to one, Luka 3-1. to one. Why not invest? or sprinkle a little money on the odds of MVP instead of buying cards, right? You asked Cajun that question, right? Yeah. So I thought it was interesting, and I thought it was interesting for this reason, because if you ask someone that question, let's say in August of 2020 when cards were going up, well, it's like, mm-hmm. well, I believe the answer would have been, hey, because – there's still upside with cards, but if you're wrong and one of the guys doesn't win MVP, you still might have the upside in the cards, but you're not losing your money if he doesn't win MVP. Listening to yesterday's Correct. episode, I thought that answer changed because more than likely if you pulled 80, 90% of the hobby, they would say that all of those guys' cards will either be flat or down in three months. So the risk-reward equation actually has changed. Thoughts on that? Does that make sense that I do a good job explaining it? We'll get into the three questions in, in, in a minute from our audience. I have three really good ones here for you. But does, does that make sense? Because when the market's going up, well, you have the opportunity of, okay, I'm right, and I get 3x my money if, I'm, if I hit on a Jason Tatum MVP prop. But I could also get 2x or 1.5x with Jason Tatum's cards, but I'm also a collector and I'm holding his cards. At the same time, yeah, there's more downside risk, but the reward here with the MVP prop might be higher. Any thoughts on that before we jump into the three questions? Yeah. So, I mean, what I was trying to get out of Cajun, I didn't get, and I think it's kind of what you're asking, is the hobby window is different. And I think what we, what we had here is if if you were to go back in your in your DeLorean a couple of years, the vast majority of people in the hobby were buying cards to own cards. Okay, they were buying cards to have those cards. They were buying cards because they enjoyed cards. Maybe they had been in it for a while. Maybe they came back into you know the hobby because it was nostalgia. Because they had a guy who they wanted to collect. It's their guy. Remember way back before he was part of the business of the hobby, he came in as a collector, left go, would say, that's my guy. I think he was talking about Russell Wilson. I wonder if he's still his guy. Um, but, you know, you, you, you'd say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to collect this. Now, when you had that, your, your window on your guy was a wider window. It was a more lengthy time period that you were thinking about owning your guy, even if it was even if it was rookie, even if you were you know quote unquote 
I don't use the word prospecting because a couple years back, you know, when you jump over your door and the word prospecting wasn't really there. Bowman, baseball, you had to have a long window because you're buying these guys when they're 15, 16, 17 years old. They're not going to actually get to the majors for three, four years. You know, I mean, look, Aaron Judge has 2013 Bowman cards. He didn't get to the majors till 2017, right? And he didn't really even do anything until, you know, 18, uh, you know, now obviously 2022. So, you know, the window is long when you're quote-unquote prospecting. And what I see, you know, you, you wouldn't want to bet on MVP or bet on one of those guys like a prop or whatever it was because your, your window is, okay, it's tonight's game or it's just the next month. Is this player going to be an MVP? Whereas if, if you were going to be buying at the time, you know, Devin Booker cards, whether he went off for 50 or had 25 or whatever it was going to be, you're like, okay, I'm going to buy this guy's cards. I'm going to hold it. I'm going to watch him have a career and go to the finals and, and watch my maybe my, my, maybe my card value goes up a little bit, but I have a window. And if I want to sell, all right, maybe he wins a championship. Maybe he does this. Maybe he scores 65. Or, or you have all these things where, all right, all right, I can sit on it with many different exits. Now, you take your DeLorean forward a couple years into 2020, 2021, and the people who got into the hobby, they came in with different windows. And I think the, the hobby got a little more gambling, got a little more quick fixy, got a little more flippy. Uh, I can use a whole bunch of other words that I'll make up right now. But when the hobby got like that, right, and people were looking for this, you know, like boom, 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 while prices were going up, you could have that instant return. You could have that, I'm sorry to keep doing this to you, buy on PWCC, sell on whatnot after a good game. You could have that, hey, I like Devontae Graham and bought him for a buck and he drops 40 against the Nets and boom, I use that example with Cajun, same kind of thing, right? Um, you could have that quick and you didn't need to bet. You didn't need to have that, I'm going to bet on Devin Booker to score 50 tonight because if Devin Booker scored 50, guess what? You had that card and you could sell it the next day and profit. Maybe not you double day your day cards. Yeah, you could day trade cards and that's why, you know, Star Stock, when it was you know first pitched, Sounded like a great idea. It was like fantasy for your cards, right? Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. uh, I, mean, I remember buying Tyler Johnson hollows the morning before he got the start for the Jets, thinking, oh, he scored a couple touchdowns that night. You could sell some. I mean, like, you know, yes. Yeah. Star stock, I'm actually. I'm the stock market of cards. The stock market of cards. I mean, that was kind of the way that people did it. But what's funny is, you know, for that, that year, year and a half, two years, you were able to get that quick hit. And people came in looking for that. People came in trying to buy somebody, be right about their performance, and then sell that via cards, right? And we, we, used to, we used to compare it, right? I used to talk about fantasy football, sports betting, cards, and say, all right, which one's taboo? Remember, sports betting used to be really taboo. Fantasy was like, you know, I wasn't water cool stuff. Now everybody's doing fantasy. They're doing daily fantasy. Well, cards became, oh, wow, well, that's the next thing. Let's get out of our basement, Cards are cool again. Remember that whole, like, you know, the, the, the manifesto that was written about it and all that stuff? Let's get out of the basement. Cards are cool. But what made it cool was it was another way of betting on your guy. It was another way of getting that turnaround. And what I've noticed now is as the market crested and comes down, right, you don't have the ability to say, all right, you know what? I think Luca is going to have, you know, three straight games where he has 40, 50, 60 point triple doubles. I'm going to buy that card. And I'm going to sell. Yeah, you can still do that, right? But but 
it's not there. It's not there with everyone. It's not like a stock market. It's not a quick fix. And, and there are instances where someone could have a good year and their cards go down. Patrick Mahomes can win the Super Bowl and his card goes down. Giannis can win the MVP and his cards go down. Jokic can win it. It doesn't make a difference. So the, I believe that the people who came in and no longer have the ability to have that quick hit kind of turnaround, that, 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 that sports betting stock market kind of, I'm picking my guy, and I'm, it leans back towards betting. It leans back towards betting on it. But there's a huge difference, man. I mean, you know, there's a huge difference between the two. You know, if you have a long enough window on cards, it's not an all-or-nothing proposition, whereas gambling, betting, especially if you're going to bet like, I mean, you know, uh, Anthony Simons is going to have seven assists or more tonight. Well, what if he has six and 50 points? You know, it's, you're happy you have that card, but you're not happy you made the bet that he's going to have eight assists because he only had seven, even though he had a monstrous game. You know what I mean? It's a different kind of analysis. God, so I urge you guys to go go and listen to that episode. It, it aired yesterday. Uh, it was really interesting. I, I actually listened to it this morning on my walk. And it, it brings me to the first question uh, for today's show. So, guys, if you want your question featured on this segment, this will be a Friday Q&A segment where we pick three questions and three questions only, and Cage answers them. And what Cage doesn't see them ahead of time. Remember, that's correct. the format. I don't know so any of them. So put them in the comments on this YouTube video. I'm not going to go out there and search for your questions. If you want your question answered, put it in the comments of this video. So it actually dovetails into this question. Should we hold off buying since whatever we buy now will be twenty down 20% or more in the next two months, three months? Okay. So I love the question. And we're not going to, you know, do what some people get very angry at us for trying to compare cards to stocks, right? Oh, you can't. They're not liquid. Try selling them. Try try liquidating 100 PSA 10s of something. It's not a stock. But that doesn't stop me from using the old Warren Buffett terminology that we like to throw around on the show, right? So so our, our friend, um, you know, Warren the Walrus, he would say, be greedy when others are fearful fearful when others are greedy and we didn't listen even though we were saying this stuff we were talking about this but when when when, the, when everything was going good right and and everybody is is we're all high-fiving and we're all you know doubling our money and you know everything's going great and you it didn't matter who you bought it was going up nobody really did enough i th i don't think to take enough money off the table to realize wow okay this can't just keep going like the upper direction there is gravity to this stuff right the supply can't keep increasing and still prices go up right eventually there's going to be you know a time where where there's too much supply where the prices can't sustain the continued growth right and as andrew likes to say somebody gets left holding that bag of crap um, so cage i was listening to uh on the warren buffett thing I was listening to his interview, end of the year interview, about an hour 20 with Charlie Rose, mm -hmm. sit down face to face, Warren Buffett, Charlie Rose. And he was talking about this concept. He's like, when stocks fall, the general public thinks it's terrible. It's bad. It's time to panic. Where for him, when he sees stocks falling, he actually thinks it's a good thing because he can buy more. And he doesn't actually use the word stock in this interview. No. He says he's buying American Assets. companies, yep. American businesses. Mm -hmm. So I could buy more American businesses for the same price. Well, the flip side to hear what I was saying was, hey, when it was going up, no one's thinking about it going up. What's funny is when it's going up, everybody in unison 
like a chorus singing Christmas carols, and it sounds perfect. It's all saying, we're all going to make it, we're going to the moon, we're all going to make it, we're all high-fiving, and we're all geniuses, and we're all making money, and blah, blah, blah. And what's funny is, right now, everyone's singing in unison. Everybody's got the chorus down. And the chorus that everybody is singing on the bottom now, and I don't want to call the bottom, I'm using stock terminology again, is, well, we all know the market's going to be down 20% from here. We all know 2023 is going to be blood in the streets. We all know everything's going down. I mean, that Michael Jordan 86 flu is going to be $30,000, according to the geniuses all over Twitter. I mean, everything's going back to pre-2019, pre-COVID. Everything's going back. And I don't hear a single person saying otherwise. Just like I didn't hear a single person preaching any type of caution, myself included, because you just don't see it. You know, that's the other fun saying. I The thought, Michael right? Jordan Fleer is a million-dollar card. Well, it's a million-dollar card. Is Why would I sell it $100,000? It's going to be a million. Why would anybody sell it? You know, I mean, we're all, we're all blind because when it's going good, it's very hard for our brains to think about it's there'll be a day where it's not going this good. Just like when it's going bad, it's very hard for us to think of it's going to turn around. Usually it does. Usually we find that middle ground. And what's funny is I love this question. The answer is an emphatic no, but I'm not going to tell you what to do with your money. But to me, we're getting to a time where, and this doesn't mean guys go out and buy hand over fist because things are going to double again. We may never have a doubler ever. But to me, if I hear every single person in unison saying, well, it's going to go down, it's going to go down, it's going to go down, that's like, you know, fade the public. It's like everybody saying, well, we better bet on the Chiefs, you know, when they play. We better bet on the Dallas Cowboys, a double-digit favorite against the Texans, and then the Texans go out and beat them, right? You know, usually when everybody's saying, well, we all know, I'm not going to buy cards, I'm down 20%, probably some, some, you know, other side spin to it. So to me, this is everybody's fearful. And when yeah. everybody's fearful, people like Warren Buffett are, are a little more greedy. Now, guys, I'm no genius. And I cannot call the market, and I do not have a crystal ball, and I'm not telling you right now. This is the bottom. Everybody go scoop it up because I, I will tell you just from you know, complete total honesty, like, I thought, just like you know, Cobra Chronicles, Josh thought in his story that LeBron was hitting a bottom in May and started buying LeBron cards in May. And I was clearly wrong about that because the cards are now 60% of the price of what they were in May even the card that I purchased. But I don't mind that because I do believe if I hold that card long enough, it will go back to where I bought it and or up. But the rest of the world is saying I should sell it because it's going to go down another 20%. I don't know that that happens. The other little um, you know tidbit that I'll throw on this is this question, which I love because everybody's thinking it, it paints with too broad of a brush. Because even if we are at a bottom, even if we are at a point where everybody's being fearful and there should be some greed showing up in our buying activity, this question can't apply to everything in the hobby. There will be things that go down 20%. There will be things that go down 50%. There will be things that go up 20%. We can't look at all of the hobby the same way. There will be cards that go up based on performance. You know, Maybe Jason Tatum goes up and maybe... John Morant goes down. Just throwing two names out there. Please don't hate me on the John Morant or the Jason Tatum. You guys know I've I've bought and sold both of those guys. But you understand I'm trying to, you know, trying to make the point here. Um, we can't just say everything is going to go down 20%. It 
It's possible. But I don't see it. An account Dude. I love, Pump Pass Click, had a story post, which I agreed with. It was too many great cards on sale right now. And like Kay just said, it's not a broad brush stroke for every card. The cards I'm looking for are the cards that might have found a temporary home with somebody who's not a collector, and now they're trimming the fat. But that card that they're selling because they never really wanted it in the first place is a card that more than likely will never come up again. Or if it comes up again, it will not be as beautiful. The eye appeal won't be as amazing as this one for auction, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. And the card that of comes course. to my mind was a card that I didn't have enough liquidity to make a move on, but it was the Aquarella Pele card, which graded an SGC 4.5. But Cage, it was the nicest 4.5 I've ever seen. It was nicer than some PSA 6s of that Aquarella centering. It has those perforated edges. So like you said, it's not every card. So question number two. What can other less mature hobbies learn from the sports card industry? I'm trying to figure out what less mature hobbies are we talking about? Like pogs? Are we talking NFTs. about like NFTs? <laughs> so you're talking about like other verticals? I mean, you know, NFTs. I mean, um, what is it? Funkos, um, game worn memorabilia. I mean, listen, there's a lot of fun things. Game more memorabilia. What people can learn in other hobbies is be careful about where you get your information from because um, hobby booms are sometimes, you know, like, like our hobby booms are sometimes born out of, you know, a lot of, you know, talking heads and influencers and the whole deal. And, you know, I was very curious about, um, you know, game worn. And if you go on Twitter, there are some very vocal people saying what they want you to hear about game worn doesn't necessarily mean that what they're saying is right. It more likely means that they're holding a lot of stuff that they're now telling you is what you should be trying to buy. Um, I mean, NFTs, I don't even really want to talk about NFTs. I think NFTs will have their day. Um, you know, the funny thing is, is that um, I think the hobby can actually learn something from NFTs to reverse the question a little bit. You know, one of the things that people were saying, the influencers that I talk about with NFTs was 99% of this, 99.9% .9 of this is going to be worthless. You don't hear people saying that about the hobby. And yet I'm going to tell you right now, 99.9% .9 of what comes out of hobby factories is worthless. 99.9% by volume. Unless, out of Panini and Tops, you mean? Out, out of Panini and Tops. And Upper Deck, out of manufacturers, yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, what we mean by that is, you know, base cards, I mean, they're basically not even collectible. I mean, the top rookie cards, fine. But, I mean, I open a box of Heritage, and that's a couple hundred cards set, right? Unless you get a short print in a box or anything, you know, even, um, you know, Julio Rodriguez, which is the top rookie, or Jeremy Pena. It, I don't even know if people are grading those anymore. I mean, they're worth a couple bucks, right? But, you know, over time, they're not really sought after. But every other card in the box is kind of, you know, from a fiscal value standpoint, there's nothing there. And you can ask people who have collected in the 2000s, ask people who collected in the 90s, the 80s. It's the same kind of thing. And I'll tell you, people who, you know, who find out I do cards, they're like, hey, I have all this. And they send me a picture. And it's a picture of exactly what I have in my basement. And it's just top set after top set after top set. Cage replies with the poop emoji. No, I say, you know what? If you want to, take that, take that 85 top set out. Open it up, take a look at what the you know the Clemens looks like. Take a look at what the pocket looks like. Take a look at what the 
you know, the 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 Dwight Gooden, maybe the the Mark McGuire, a couple of cards, ten cards, but it's a seven hundred ninety two card set. You can take seven hundred and seventy of them and literally throw them in the garbage. You know, from a value perspective, they're kind of cool. You build a set. There are people who build sets in the whole nine yards, but from a, a fiscal standpoint. 99.9% of what's being made out there is going to be valueless. So, so then I could then, flip this question on its head because it was sort of a, one of those two-part questions. It was, what's one thing you learned about the business of the hobby in 2022? I mean, it's a great, that's a great question. I will tell you that the more I think about the hobby, where it's going, where it's gone, the more I realize that the divide of investor and collector is really more a divide of hobby versus business. It's really more a divide of hobby versus industry, if we like to call it that, right? And there's nothing wrong with it almost going on two tracks, right? Because when you try to force both of those hats onto the same head, usually you will end up with a little bit of a battle, right? And yeah, there's going to be people who do both. There are going to be people who try to, you know, make money, myself included, right? Try to buy something low and sell it high. Plus, you know, I have a PC of weird stuff like my George Gervin, you know, logo man and, and, and you know, that kind of stuff, right? But the, the, the split is much clearer when you start to talk about the business of the hobby because there are people out there who don't care about the business of the hobby. Those are the people who, you know, respond to my weird, hey, the hobby will be fine with ah, everything's going to be great. You know, I collect my cards and that's all I care about. I buy the guys I like and I'm going to go and fill in my sets and blah, blah, blah. And you know what those guys never do? They never put a comment in my posts about um, Panini Redemptions. They never put a comment in my post about uh, customer service. They never put a comment in my post about like, you know, what, what, the, what the hobby businesses need to do better. Maybe they've just been snake bit too many times and they just know, okay, this is the hobby that I've chosen. And, you know, or maybe it's because they're not looking to actually profit on it. Maybe they're not looking for a, you know, a corporate do-gooder, you know, hey, Benini, you got to give back to us because we're all losing money now. No. But then there are the other side, right? The people who are in the business and that business has grown tremendously. Think of all the people who were not in the hobby that are now throwing shows, Right. Think of think of the, the 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 cottage industries, the businesses that have sprung up as part of the business of the hobby, ourselves included. There are people rapping. I mean, at least last year at Mint they rapped. I don't know if they've rapped since, but there are people rapping about the hobby, RPS. You know, I think those guys are still in the hobby. So you know, they're a business. I think. You know, there are there are slab companies, there are grading companies, there are, you know, supply companies. There are all these things that have sprouted up in the last couple of years. That is the business of the hobby. And I guess what I've learned is the the business of the hobby, I believe, is in a tough spot because only a few of them are really geared toward both ends, the collector and the investor. It's why you see grading companies hit both the here's we'll get these back to you with a quick turnaround time and it'll be cheap and you can buy it and have it in hand during season and sell it. But at the same time, talk about building up set registries and go ahead and compete and have the best set in the whole lot because yet they're trying to hit kind of both sides of it. That's difficult, man. And that's why some of the smaller grading companies don't do that. That's why, you know, I mean, we're, we're call it out there SGC. Like there's no registry, right? They're not talking about a registry. I don't think they're building a registry because right now what their focus is is getting cards back into the hands of the people who want them back quicker. 
right? So that is that investor type, right? That is their investor type, right? No real registry, no real data on it. So, I mean, listen, what have I learned about the business of the hobby in 2022? Um, For the most part, a lot of the companies that have sprouted up don't really have much to do with collecting. How about that for a tagline? And question number three. Ladies and gentlemen, listening, if you want your question featured, drop it in the comments for next Friday's episode. So will modern Hall of Fame players, and he or she put four here, we could, we're not going to discuss if they're going to be Hall of Famers or not because that's irrelevant, but will modern Hall of Fame players, LeBron, Steph, Dame, hold the same value like some of the past insert sets from the 90s? So you take this as like 90s insert sets? Yes. And, and I guess the question for flushing it out is, will these guys, kabooms, let's say, be as good as like a scoring Kings or, you know, a PMG or something like that? Like, I thought the two that came to my mind was Splash, which was really popular. Uh, Optic Splash with like Curry. Uh-huh. Have you seen those? Yes. Totally worthless. <laughs> or Completely. My house. It's got 900 parallels, like the purple one, the hollow one, the non-hollow one. It's like, oh, yeah, there's 400 of them. The my house, you're talking about like optic? Yeah. So, so is it that back in the 90s, there was a few very iconic like hot hands um, sets? Is that why that they preserve value? Because it was so rare to hit one? So great. I'll answer the question with a question to you. Do me a favor and tell me if I gave you a budget right now. I gave you money. I gave you yeah. enough money. And you were going to go out there and let's just use you got LeBron, Steph, Dame, Ja. Let's say – you know, Jordan, Shaq, uh, Elijah Wan, and Barkley. Okay. What insert set are you buying their cards? Go. And you, I want you to name as many as come to the top of your head. I'm going to count it down like Jeopardy. Hot numbers is one, right? No, is it? What's the one with the fire? Can you stop? Do people listen on audio. This doesn't sound good to them. I think- Thank you. You proved my point. We did the whole Jeopardy kind of thing. I didn't give you the whole 30 seconds because I don't like to whistle. But 90s inserts, you're someone who's in the hobby. You're a talking head in the hobby. You're an influencer. You're a genius. You are a basketball person. I just named the four guys who anyone would collect. I mean, obviously, there's some wiggle room in there, right? There are four guys to collect. And the best you could do to name 90s inserts for me was hot numbers and that thing with the fire. So you tell me if Optic if Splash... He, he knows those better. Right. But what he would tell you is PMGs. He would tell you, you know, Flair Legacy, your Row Zeros, your numbered inserts. Um, you know, he would tell you potentially from earlier 90s, your scoring kings. Hot numbers is cool, but there's not many people that collect hot numbers. Um, you know, there's a lenticular one. It's kind of a cool one, but I don't I mean, I think you really have too much in the way of value. Um but, uh, you know, scoring kings, you know, power and the key, you know, then you get the numbered ones, right? I mean, where people would talk about. But think about that. Over an entire decade of, you know, collecting, right, there's a handful of insert sets for guys. And even with those guys, like, how many people are out there? The hot numbers you said? Like, what's a Shaq PSA 10 hot number? 150 bucks? Maybe? You know? I mean, Jordan has some real nice inserts, but Jordan is Jordan. Um, you know, LeBron 489, the last one sold July 25th. Yeah. So, I mean, and probably less than that now, but, but there are, you know, the nineties had a lot of inserts. There are a ton of inserts that you could name. And yeah, there's plenty of Jambalaya 
you know, there's all kinds of cool ones that you, you can name and they have some collectability, but not, you know, I mean, Kobe, sure. You know, LeBron, sure. Will modern Hall of Fame players, LeBron, Steph, Dame, Ja, hold the same value like some of the past insert sets? I would say the answer is LeBron is the closest you're going to have to Jordan just because of their stature in the game. But you didn't know what, quote, insert set was going to be the hot one until recently. Do me a favor, guys, and take a look at the cards we're talking about and go back three, four, five, eight years. PMGs were being collected, but they weren't anywhere near the pricing that they are now. And those lead the bunch. So which one is the PMG? Everybody talks about in the nine, in, in collecting now, this one's going to be the next PMG. You even brought up someone from Elite. You know, like, it's like oh, there's an Elite Dunrus one. Elite. Dunrus Elite. I mean, clearly that's not going to be the PMG, but you hmm. thought it was, you know. And so if everybody has one, um, you know, then <laughs> you don't know which one it's going to be. It makes it difficult to collect this stuff now. Also, I mean, for somebody like Ja, especially, whose rookie year and his entire career are going to be played in a time of proliferation of cards where the supply is just going to be endless. It's going to be difficult for me to say that the inserts will hold the same value like some of the past. That said, if you get the right one, like Kaboom, which I own one of, you know, I'm out, I'm outspoken about how I don't think Kaboom is great. And now they've really, like the print runs are not there. They're not numbered. It makes it kind of tough. But let's just say the early Kabooms for LeBron, Steph, and Dame are the PMGs of this. They are the ones that people go after, right? And especially because the, they are pretty limited in those first you know, bunch of years. I think the, I think after 2015, LeBron and PSA 10, it's the only one. There's one PSA 10 and I own it, right? So that's got some possibility of it being you know, a collectible thing. But the difficulty is going to be, what's the right one to collect? And you talk and about this. What price point too, right? Because yeah. it could be collectible, but maybe the price you got it at, maybe it's collectible at 2000 bucks, which is still a lot of money for a card, right? But, but a yeah. drastic drop. But I mean, guys, listen, I understand the point of the question, right? And let's just take it out from the specifics to the general for a second. Let's not worry about which insert it is or even which player it is. But we'll go back to those those talking points where I mean I hate to bring them up again, but you know there have been a lot of cautionary um, sentences that came in during like influencers that hey ninety nine percent of these uh, NFTs are going to be worthless. We all know who said that, right? I mean, who repeated that refrain? That was that was Gary V. Yeah, one of the things that he's, he's one of the things he said about the cards was be careful buying modern players. Because what are the chances that these guys turn into a X and did a whole bunch of comparison to people from the 90s, right? I mean, Steve Nash, what a great player he was, right? Steve Nash, a fantastic player. Jason Kidd, what a fantastic player. John Stockton holds the record for assists. I don't think anyone's going to break it anytime soon. And how many people are out there flexing their John Stockton cards? Sure, there are some that are collectible. There are some that have some value because they are limited in number and they're part of a high-end set, just like Johnny Moore is part of an 86 flare set, so it has some value because it's difficult to collect in high grade and people build those sets. But barring that, I mean, Steph, I love Steph, right? I, what's a great comparison for Steph? What's another borderline top 10 player in NBA history? Tim Duncan? You know, so could Steph's car, I know it's Isaiah a different player at a different time. I mean, Isaiah is not borderline top 10, 
but a good I, I understand your comp but e- 15, use either 20. one of them use either one you know and and the point there is not a lot of collectability of those guys it is part of what we talked about with um cajun yesterday there is um a premium put on active players because you're able to watch your guy play that night you're able to watch your guy go out there and drop a bucket you're able to buy luca for the potential that he has and the ability to flex your card on IG when he goes out and drops 60 points and does what he did the other night, right? There is some premium, some value there. The problem is we focus as a hobby way too much on that and don't take a second to look at what Gary was saying. I don't want to talk about it too much, right? But what he was saying was take a second before you invest in someone and think about what their high side is. Think about what their ceiling is. And if their ceiling is Chris Bosch, well, look at what Chris Bosch's best cards sell for. You know, there are that Eric Whiteback, Collectibles Guru, a deep value investor, like the guys who do this on Twitter, they, they, they make these posts. It's almost like goading you into it, right? But there's a reason why they post a picture of Peyton Manning's best card and compare it to Jalen Hurts's best or top selling card. And Jalen Hurts's card has sold for more. You know, Dan Marino versus some of these guys. And you have to think to yourself, you know, I'm spending this money on an unproven guy who could maybe one day be as good as Dan Marino. But, but take a second and look at what Dan Marino's cards are selling for. And I get it, right? There's more demand now for Ja than there is for any of the people we would talk about in the 90s, except maybe Michael Jordan. It might even be more demand for Ja now than Michael Jordan, believe it or not, because there's a lot of young kids who aren't buying Michael Jordan cards, they're buying Ja cards. But ultimately, the question then becomes... And this is the important thing of a question here. The will modern Hall of Famers hold the same value? It's what happens when they're not playing? Now, hold the same value is what this question talks about. If you're buying those guys now and they're playing and they're still doing well and Steph is going to win another championship and LeBron's going to break records and maybe Dame does, I don't know what Dame's going to do, make another Modelo commercial. John maybe wins an MVP and you know wins a championship. Who knows? you have the ability to sell those cards. They'll have value. They'll potentially go up in value. And you could be right. I held it and I had a window on it. But this question specifically talks about holding the same value. I think it's um, difficult after the playing career. Remember, that's a different window for these guys to hold value because, one, you got to be a great. LeBron is. But I don't know where Dame's going to fall on that all-time great list, right? I mean, you tell me. We could probably come up with a bunch of players in the NBA who are, you know, higher, you know, Oscar Robertson, you know, I mean, higher than Dame, and they're not really collected, um, you know, except for a smaller base. So really what your, what, your, what your question is, the demand is highest when they're playing because you want to wear, you want to rock their jersey, you know, you want to go out and be, that's my guy. But as their playing careers, you know, there's less playing career, the demand also starts to go down. Then when they stop playing, the demand goes down. That demand will impact pricing. So you better be right when you're buying it. You better be right that it is a guy who is relevant after. And even if you happen to pick the right player and buy it at the right price, you also have to be buying the right insert. You have to be buying yep. the right card. That's a lot that make it, you know, makes it tough to say yes to this question. So, Luca Nation, again, if you want your question answered, throw it in the comments. It'll be for next week's show. I have one bonus question, and this one's from me. So, 
it, this is about vintage and not specifically vintage as like the textbook definition, but more vintage as like a store of value. So uh, I looked at the card ladder index today and the one index that overperformed every other one was pre-war vintage actually. Mm -hmm. So what defining characteristics make a card vintage? And I want to add a caveat, make a card a store, a vintage store of value, like a Gaudi Ruth. I mean, what I would say, so the question, not vintage. I mean, we're going to get a lot of people, you know, oh, why did Andrew say vintage? Vintage is just old. You know, vintage is just Correct. like, you know, look, vintage category, like pre-1972 or what? We're not going to talk about that. I think what you're not asking. Most of it is used as like, hey, go and buy vintage. But what people are really saying is go and buy cards that have a store so value from my what kind of set. What defining character, what do you look for in a card that you're looking to, to have in your collection as a store of value yes. rather than something to flip, you name it, right? So I think the first thing that I look at is cross-generational relevance. So that's number one. Right, it's almost like I mean, look, a lot of these cards—they're they're stores of value, even though they're not museum worthy, right? But it's almost like if you put that in a museum, your grandparent, your parent, and your kid would all have some idea of who it is, right? I mean, and what's being depicted there, right? Now that can change over time. The relevance of of of, of this stuff can change over time, right? Because I mean, think about it. You're, oh, wow, that's got to be something old. Well, not really. I mean, over the last five to 10 years, you could say that the right messy card could potentially become a store of value card over time because of what he's done and what he's meant and kind of goat. Same kind of thing can, you know, but no one's going to call messy cards vintage. Same thing with, you know, Tom Brady's card. I mean, clearly, you know, even with its recent decline, that champ ticket is a, a, a huge, you know, card. The fact that he's playing, the fact that it's modern means that instead of a store of value right now, it is one of those cards that has fluctuated. You're not really putting your money in there to store value. Um, so cross-generational relevance. And then in addition, it's something that has enough age to it that it has a proven track record, which in turn causes lower volatility in pricing, right? And even some vintage cards... With Which the last, why, with the Brady example, why Brady, who's playing, causes volatility. Correct, but I mean, you could say that there's been some volatility in, in vintage. Um, you know, with the recent couple of years, I mean, I've done this a couple of times on our show, guys. You know, I tell you, just you don't have to spend money for this. You don't have to have you know a full paying card ladder account. Just go on PSA's website and hit you know auction prices realized, and pull up the Gaudi roofs that you're talking about. Any of them. Pull up 53, uh, pull up 181, 140, one more, 49, any of the four. And just go right ahead and, and look what the chart looks like. You could do it for them if you feel like it. But there'll be basically a decade of slow and steady growth up until this recent kind of boom period. And, you know, maybe they trickle down a little bit. Maybe they've come down a little bit. You know, the line is kind of there. What I would look at for a store of growth it still remains to be seen what happens with that recent bump, that recent, you know, come up. There are people out there who think that low-grade vintage, you know, even these Gaudi roots in PSA 2, which are now 12 grand, uh, five times what they were before COVID, um, thinks that there's a bubble there. I don't necessarily agree with that. The store of value on these things, I think if you take a look at the chart, there's a slow and steady one of What these. do I search for on auction prices realized? 
So you go, you can go into the pop report, population report. You, if you I mean, want to share screen, I realized. So scroll down, and you're in 33 Gaudi. So 1933 Gaudi, Benny Bengo. Bengo would be card number one, which, by the way, makes it a, an expensive card. He was a catcher in high grade, very expensive card number one. Because, because it's card stack, number one. Well, because when people stacked up their cards with a rubber band, that first card was often damaged, ding, creased, edges done. Same thing with 1952 Tops Andy Pafko. That's card number one in the 52 top set. Okay, so what do I search in auction prices realized? Just go down. Your, your, it'll give you a checklist. Go to number card number 53 if you want. That's the yellow Babe Ruth. So that would be on page number three. No, that would be on page number two. <laughs> I told everyone it would be easy, but if you want to share, I can, I can walk you through it. Oh, I'm not sharing? No, no. Go. I could help you out with it if you were sharing for the group. Still not sharing. Maybe it's because of the screen being like this large. Nope. There, oh, it's tiny. Yeah. Tiny? So, oh, yeah, there we go. you're sharing it like small. Now it's just my big head. Now it's the two of us. But still no sharing. That's okay. It's good enough. All right? Yeah. So, so you'll see on this, you can see... Um, you know, prices in different grades, recent prices, but there's the chart, right? So this is auction prices realized for different, and scroll down even more on this one. And then um, go up a little more and click the prices on this one, the one that says prices. Scroll up more, a little more. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. There you go, prices, the, yeah, right there, yep. Click that one for me. And then scroll down to the chart. And you're gonna go to, obviously you're gonna go to um, Babe Ruth on this one, and you can you'll see different prices in different grades. Pretty crazy, right? I've never used this. No, so I mean, it gives you all the different prices. What I would tell you is the easiest way to to, to do this: go into the the pop report on it. You know, the, if you scroll up to the top, you want yeah. So there you go. You can shop on and see if there's anything there. You can see the value of values of them. But go up to the the pop report. Scroll up for me and click yeah. Click pop. Yep, hundred percent. Thank you. And then scroll down to number 53 and click the roof. And I mean, guys, it's just, you know, it's a little clunkier, right? But um, yeah, this is different. It's not doing exactly what, um, you know, what normally would. While you're on Google here, get out of the PSA page and just do me a favor and type PS in Google, PSA, 1953, 1933, Gaudi, Ruth, number 53. Just type that in Google and watch what pops up. Um, and guys, why I'm doing this and it's taking some time here, obviously, and we probably lost you with this is, um, there's a free chart, but it's going to show you a chart. You can just click on that for the PSA. So now scroll down. There you go. It's got the card, the player scroll down. This is just for this card and look at the chart. So there's pop report, but go, go one, one further down condition census prices by grade gives you all the information you want on this auction prices realizing you can see over time how it's selling. You know how it's changed um and you can kind of like chart it and if you go back for a period i would say 08 to you know to 2018 slow and steady growth and then boom kind of like an increase on it so loads of fun a lot of information right on there tons yeah it was it's back to your original topic which were uh the second i want to like who are you tailoring towards the flipper or tailoring towards a collector I mean, building out a, a data tool like that that pulls in all that stuff, auction prices by grade and all that stuff, that, that's pretty cool. I know you're yeah. you're a big fan of the set registry. 
Yeah, well, I mean, listen, it's, I mean, certain cards only have value because of the set that they're in. Those 33 Gowdies, I mean, there are, there are commons in that set that sell for a lot of Eddie Bengo is a great example of it, right? Um, I had a lot of that set, um, you know, for a while. I was, I was trying to build it in, in, uh, in like four to, four to six grade. You know, Earl Averill, Hall of Famer, never even heard of, in a six. Cost me a little bit of money, you know? But a little bit. No, but, but so I guess, you know, the, just to, to, to kind of, you know, finalize the, the, the question on this one is that what defining characters. Yeah, no, that, that card is a great example, right? There are people out there just kind of a little bonus answer my own question. People out there who think that what we've seen here is people get burned in modern cards and you're talking about it as store of value, store of value, right? Not every card that's old or the right name is a store of value right now, especially with the run-up in pricing. And I've seen some, you know, some Twitter posts. I've seen some, you know, stuff about, hey, you know, these guys who were buying Evan Mobley, who were buying, you know, um, Trevor Lawrence or Trey Lance, they've taken their profits and they've bought into low-grade vintage. Willie Mays' third year in a PSA 4. This particular card we just looked at in a PSA 1 or 2. And if you look at the price has gone up because of it, price has gone up because of it. And what's funny is at first I didn't I didn't think that would make sense. Like why would they do that, right? I mean, you know, it's not this is not a flipping card. But the more I think about it, maybe we can bring on we will that the, the Twitter guy deep value. I mean, we'll bring him on and have him, you know, talk about his bubble theory and we can debate it out, right? But the more I think about it, the validity of it is remember we had the what was it iron cheek on from alt mm-hmm. and we had a whole episode of creative pricing is low grade vintage now an area where these folks can do creative pricing the way that they were able to do it before with the no pop private sale i flew to norway i mean france no i meant norway and i got this card and i'm not telling anyone how much i paid it for paid for it because i want to be able to sell it for more money right remember that whole craziness we want more How of you. We need more of you. I still don't understand exactly where you were when you bought that card, but it was somewhere in Europe. Um, you were with, but or what you were doing? Can they now be creative pricing low grade vintage? Are they now putting that on the table and say, "Yeah, yeah, I know that's a two, but look at the eye appeal on that man. That would get a PWCCS. Look at the eye appeal on this. Mike Baker got this in front of him. He'd give it twelve diamonds." Black ones, gold ones, and silver ones. It would have diamonds all over Babe Ruth's face. Look at the centering. This is a two. Yeah, yeah. If they graded it now, it'd be a four. It's worth double what a real two is. Like, can they? Is the creative pricing now? Are they able to be creative now in this new kind of niche with cards? Maybe. It's interesting. Interesting to think about. Leave these people wanting more. The last coffee with Cage before 2023. We love you guys. This is probably our last episode before 2023 because we'll be doing the PWCC weekly auction. Thank you guys for following along with the journey. We got huge plans for 2023. Uh, you know, I was making a little proposal today, and it, the line was, we started as a small podcast looking to educate and entertain, and we've grown this into a network of shows for everybody who's a collector, who's its first day in the hobby, to someone who's been in the hobby for life, somebody who loves, you know, TCG and all that stuff. Those are our plans. That's our goal. That's our roadmap to have a ton of different shows that really add value to the hobby and build a better community. So stay tuned. Thank you all for your support. Thank you all for listening, for commenting, for subscribing, for sharing, because, you know, we would just be two talking heads talking to the brick wall behind Cage's head if it wasn't for our amazing community. Thank you, guys. 
Cage, any final words before we uh, hit the end recording button? After that? I mean, I thought you were going to start singing. It started from the bottom. Now we're here. I, th- I thought there was, you know, some champagne poppy coming for New Year's, man. I, I thought wish, I was gonna... man. He's so, a talented guy. He's a talented guy. I don't have his uh, vocals. I can beat him in ball, though, I think. It's, what's funny, just a little tangent here, just like Game Warren, they could find a photo match. Did you read the article that they found some original Drake lyrics in a dumpster and it's coming for auction? <laughs> like he wrote them when he was a high school kid or so. I don't know. So it's like, wow, where were these things? You know, like, oh. And in they the just, dumpster? They mature, yeah, they, I think they found them in like the garbage somewhere or something like that. It's like it's old lyrics. I, I didn't read the whole article. I just saw a headline, which is my bad for bringing it up. You, you shouldn't bring up just headlines without reading the article. But yeah, allegedly coming to auction now are some real early Drake lyrics uh, if you're into that kind of thing. No, so, so 2022, guys, listen. 2022, 2023, everybody's making predictions. Everybody's doing look backs. Everybody's doing all that fun stuff. You know, we'll have December 31st and then January 1st, and sure, the calendar changes. I think, you know, the one thing that I'll say going into 2023 hobby-wise is I'm not going to make yearly goals. There is too much going on in the hobby. There are too many events. There are too many sales. There are too many sporting things. There's too many damn episodes for me to think about what's going to be happening in in May, let alone October. And I think if I can request something from you guys, I would say you should do the same. From your hobby perspective, take it day by day. Take it week by week. Set some small goals for yourself. If it's redoing your PC, you know, we talked about consolidation a lot. That's fine. You know, if it's moving out of some cards and moving into other ones, if it's, you know, establishing a new little side PC and something that you enjoy, maybe a TV show you like, you know, um, do that. It's a fun part, but don't – I would try to stay away from, hey, 2022, I didn't really do what I wanted, but in 2023, I'm going to make a million dollars on cards. Okay. Great to have those kind of, you know, aspirations, but – Maybe say in January you're going to get 10% of the way there or 8% of the way there and you're on pace and start little stuff and build on it. Um, And I guess the last part is many people listening to this came to the hobby in the last couple of years. What I would say is as you move into 2023, think about what it was that initially brought you here and lean on that. And if it was instant profits and I'm going to flip and mug life to the moon. You may not find that in 2023, and you may not find that again for decades. Um, that doesn't mean you have to leave. Find something else that you enjoy about it, because my hope is that during the two or three years that you, you've been here, you found a community that you like. You found the show, hey, wink, wink, that you like. Um, and you, know, you can build on that, and it can replace that instant gratification of, I've got to flip this Devontae Graham. I know what happened for me. So, yeah, we're here for you. Happy New Year, guys.